0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transportation Exchange Podcast presented by Rush Truck Science of Canada. I'm your host, Jason Cuddy. On today's episode, we're excited to welcome back Mr. Mike Million the president of PMTC. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Jason. So today we wanted to have a little chat about uh, something that the PMTC has been heavily involved with, which is the National Supply Chain Task Force. So we thought we would bring you in and kind of get us up to speed on what it's all about, how it impacts the industry and and kind of the PMTC's role as far as uh, how it impacts, you know, what what we're looking at going forward.
1: And thanks and uh, appreciate the opportunity. So the actual task force began uh, back in January of 2022, I guess. And it was initially put in place because of the catastrophic floods that we'd seen in BC right. in the uh, in the fall of 2021, as well as the supply chain restraints that we had seen as a result of COVID the last two years, with uh, you know port congestion and labor shortages and, and everything else. So, the task force was put together to try and. Um, figure out, explore opportunities that we could make our supply chain more resilient within Canada, as well as globally. Uh, so the transport minister put together a a task force of chairs and then the, the chairs had an initial meeting in January, and then they reached out and did individual meetings with stakeholders and associations. Uh, PMTC had theirs in February, and then we had another one with them back in August of this year. So not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, gave our opinions verbally, provided written uh, opinions as to how we thought things should go, and then that task force released their final report just uh, just about a month ago. Gotcha. So, I mean, there's some key items I
0: think that you guys especially identified within the, the press release that, that you guys were involved with. Maybe kind of walk us through what each one is and, and how it kind of plays out uh, from, from your side.
1: Yeah, and in their final report, they, they did... Uh, do a number of the ones that we that we recommended, so we were glad to see that. And of course, nice. that report then goes to the government, and then it's up to the government as to whether they implement any of these things or right. not. But uh, and obviously, you know, the task force was talking about you know, trucking, uh, marine, air. Obviously, our association, we we put most of our uh, thoughts towards the road infrastructure right. and uh, priorities as a result of that. So, private motor truck council of Canada, that's what we represent, but. So a couple of the important ones that we asked them to put in place that they did, uh, twinning of Highway 185 between New Brunswick and Quebec. And what that allows if you get that highway twinned is you can have an LCV network that can operate from Windsor straight through to the the East Coast. Gotcha. Uh, Right now what happens is there's there's a stretch in Quebec where they have to detach the two LCVs and then two trucks have to take Mm -hmm. it. About an eighty-five kilometer trip on a two-lane road, right? Till it gets into New Brunswick, and then they can couple it together again. So, by finishing that stretch, you're you're removing the requirement to have to have two drivers to go that short stretch, removing GHDs from the road, and obviously approving efficiencies. That is one of the things they put in the report. Uh, we also asked for better access to funding. Um, as you know, it's not declared a skilled trade. Yeah, with, with melt in place most of the province, you're looking at eight to 10, most of the countries, or you're looking at eight to $10,000. And with the only funding really being unemployment, which doesn't always give you your best employees, right? Uh, cause they may not be there cause they want to be there. They're being True. there to, to stay on it. Um, it. It's it's a barrier to a lot of people entering the industry. So we've asked for more consistent funding to be put in place while we are hopefully waiting for this eventually to be declared a skilled trade. And that is one of the recommendations that they went forward with as well. Uh, Trucking HR Canada has a career expressway program and people can go to Trucking HR Canada and they've been given a lot of uh, money by the government to move forward with this. So you can access training dollars through them that is provided by uh, by the government. So yeah, sure. that is one thing that uh, the committee recommended they move forward with and we were we were glad to see that.
0: That's good. Yeah, and that's been a big challenge that's come up on conversation with many people over the last couple of years is the the lack of this being a skilled trade, which, I mean, clearly the requirement to to operate these vehicles is a skill. Um, And, you know, now we have regulations as far as the type of training required, almost as if it's a skilled trade, but you're just missing that one little piece to try and, like you said, close the gap and get funding because to go through that training isn't cheap, as you've mentioned, but it's required to get the job. So you've got this big barrier to entry, which you didn't have kind of before so you're you're halfway there but you need to kind of you know cross the finish
1: line so hopefully this this helps push it forward yeah exactly yeah one one step at a time i, I guess you'd say but i mean eventually we would like to see this declared a skilled trade almost like a, a red seal where you get mm-hmm. into apprenticeship where you know the entry-level training what we like to call that is pre-employment training right and then we need we need post license or sorry pre-license training and then we need post license training which is done at the carrier yeah and that's almost where your apprenticeship or red seal program would come in. But you know, if we can get it declared a skilled trade and then move into these post training requirements, I think it'll it'll help a lot.
0: Well, no help. I and the nice part is the the layout is there of how to do it. Obviously, right? I mean, we see it you know, even within the industry, like on, on the uh, technician side, right? It's it's a skilled trade. So you have an apprenticeship program, you have co-op programs with schools that allow students to come in, you know, do half and half, do some theory, do some practical. Then you've got someone already into it and engaged in, you know, in your company or at least in the industry. And then you walk them through the process, they become an employee and you keep going. And, you know, it's one way to get people to come into the industry at a younger age as well. Um, and I think it, it creates... Know more of a career path when it becomes a skilled trade versus you know what is thought of today for a lot of people, it, it changes the optics, I think, in the thought process of for it sh-
1: for sure. And there, there's a lot of carriers in the industry who already have these mentorship programs, we'll call them, and, and very, very well developed, um, lengthy programs where they mentor them when they come in, these new students. But the problem is, the carriers that are doing it are the best in class, but right. it's not required, so you still have a bunch of carriers that maybe aren't doing it and don't put the resources towards it and for the newly licensed driver to have the best opportunity to succeed in the industry there needs to be follow-up training done after you get your license like you're not fully you're fully, you're, you're fully you you don't go to medical school and then start performing heart surgery yeah, and, right? and stop all training right, exactly <laughs> yeah. so that's the way we need to we need to think about it. and a lot of good carriers do but you know it almost needs to become mandatory at some point to make sure everybody does
0: it and the mandatory helps keep an even playing field cuz obviously the ones that are doing it it's great and it, it's it's the right thing to do for the industry and for their business but it's a yeah. cost to their business which in a, in you know tight economic times that's cost that's not going against you know the cost to perform the business for their customers so it could increase you know their, their rates to the Customers, which could make them uncompetitive. So, you know, yes, there's a skill that's involved with what the customer is getting at the at the end. But you know, as we see a lot of times, price wins a lot of battles. And if you're not investing that much money, you're going to get the business. So this again will help hopefully level the playing field. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, Some of the other things we asked for as well. Again, on that labor, I mean, we have a shortage of twenty eight thousand truck driving positions right yep. now, right? So um, we're second highest in the country for vacancies right behind uh, hospitality. Wow. Um, so we've we've asked for continued and increased support and increased access to temporary foreign workers for the trucking industry. But the, the key thing we pointed out to the task force though is yes, we need immigration. We need to provide access to these individuals to work within the trucking industry. Um, whether people agree with it or not, all you have to do is is look at our birth rate numbers. We are not sustainable and we can't sustain the employment numbers we need unless we are bringing people in. in. But the program we want, the shortage in the trucking industry isn't temporary. So the temporary foreign worker program needs to be made sure that it's provided as a access to permanent residency to stay here. We don't have we don't need the drivers for six months, right. right? It's been a long-term issue. And it's almost like a vetted process that we should have because, yes, we need to increase the amount of access that the industry has to temporary foreign workers, but we have to make sure that the people that come into this country are given the best opportunity to succeed in this industry, and are provided the training and support necessary to make them safe out on our highways to protect us, as well as them, right? Uh, there was a Globe and Mail report in 2019 that showed in showed this. And unfortunately, if it's not vetted properly, what happens is uh, these individuals come in looking for a way to get permanent residency into Canada. Yep. They are preyed upon by consultants who charge them a fee to get them a job, um, provide training, maybe uh, if they're lucky. A lot of cases in BC they weren't. Mm-hmm. Partner them up with a carrier, and in some cases the carrier is paying a fee to this consultant to get them. And then they are not trained properly, they're not treated properly, and they're not paid properly. Right. And all that does is once they get their license and then get their permanent residency into Canada, because they're not treated properly, they don't stay in the industry. Right. right? They move on into something else, which doesn't do us any good, doesn't do them any good. So we need to make sure it's vetted properly, and that requires the federal government to look into this harder in the vetting process and to coordinate more with the provinces and territories. Uh, the Globe and Mail report showed one case. There was a carrier in 2018 who was fined almost $200,000 uh-huh. because the um, unfair labor practices and they were paying below minimum wage. Okay. Two weeks later, they got approved to bring in more foreign workers. So the left hand isn't talking to the right. So <laughs> yeah. so we, we need better access to it, but we also need better oversight of the program to make sure that it is being done properly. Um, And one thing that the CTAs put out there, and we we fully agree with them on this, is almost a vetted process where only carriers who have been approved and are proven to have safety policies and procedures, a program in place to integrate these individuals into their trucking company and into their community, um, you know, that have have safety ratings that are satisfactory or above, right? a vetted process where only carriers who are going to treat the individuals properly can apply to bring these employees in here because it's better for the employees and it's better for the safety of our roads. Makes sense. And
0: it's almost sort of kind of going back to, we talked about the companies that invested into, you know, proper training programs that they, they, maybe if this rolls out properly, they could be the first, you know, benefactors of something like this because they've already established good processes. They're usually top rated carriers. Similar to the LCV process, you had to prove you know, without a doubt, certain safety standards. So it, it's kind of a, a win-win. Look, if you're willing to invest into the industry and make sure you're running, you know, the best of the best companies, we'll, we'll give you access to additional foreign workers going through a certain process, but we know they'll succeed with you. We're not just going to throw them everywhere and just see where the chips land. So exactly. that's a good good way to do it. And I think, you know, the federal government also announced recently that I think by 2025, they you know, open it up to another half million of, yep. you know, of foreign immigration. So, you know, the door's there as far as they recognize we need it. So, hopefully, we can latch on to that number and pull in a huge amount of, of skilled labor that, you know, can then tie into these, these companies and, and help, you know, fill the, the gap in the industry.
1: Yeah, well, because there's two things we need, right? Like, the labor shortage that we're seeing now isn't just in the trucking industry. Right. This is a, a Canada-wide, or a worldwide labor shortage that we're seeing right now. Yeah. So, we're not only competing to get individuals into our industry, we're competing against every other industry that is now looking for employees. Yeah. So there's two things we have we have to get them into the industry, show them the opportunities that are here. But then once they get here, we got to make sure they are treated properly, trained properly, and given the best opportunities to succeed so they stay here. Because if they just come in and leave, it doesn't help anyone. Anyway. Done nothing. Yeah.
0: You yeah. <laughs> accomplished nothing. Yeah. But
1: um, no. um, okay. um Another thing we asked for, too, which were it's kind of political turmoil right now, but the fast processing centers have been open on the U.S. side of the border. Right. They haven't been open on the Canadian side of the border. Uh, they've been closed since March of 2020. So we've pushed that that be open, and the supply chain did support that as well. Uh, it, it's kind of political issues right now because mm-hmm. basically what it is is when the, the U.S. workers come up here to do the interviews on, on this side, Yeah. Um But the issue with it is about whether they are given diplomatic immunity when they're doing that job. So it's a whole bunch of political (laughs) infighting that's going on with it, but we still need to see that done to get rid of some of the backlog. Yeah. Um, One of the things that they didn't put forward in the recommendation that we were a little disappointed about was, we also would like to see the Trans-Canada Highway twinned from coast to coast. Right. right? There's a long section through Northern Ontario that isn't twinned. Um, And then you get into BC, there's sections that aren't twinned. Right the bridge failure in nipagon in 2017 i believe it was 2016 2017 that basically fractured our country from coast to coast yes. the floods that happened in bc last fall when when sections of highway one and the coquihalla uh, all we had was one access road on the on the south which is a road that trucks don't like to use that much the crow's nest Pass. if you don't have redundancy in your major cross-border infrastructures so, you are very vulnerable to these issues that we've run into a couple times, and now you're severing east-west trade. So we really need to be looking at a multi-lane divided highway that goes from coast to coast, so at least you have some redundancy if one side fractures. Hopefully the other side is still available to you. Yeah. Um, And that's one that they they didn't recommend. And, And we also need to look at having a national plan to build rest areas on our main highways. It's an issue the trucking industry has been complaining about for years. You get up into the remote areas of our country, it may be hard to find places to park, Um, northern Ontario, northern BC, northern any, northern almost anywhere in the country. In addition to the main areas, there's an extreme lack of parking. Yes. And that's people's work conditions which kind of acts to a deterrent to coming into the industry if you don't think you're going to be able to find a safe place to park, rest, and go to the washroom. So
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they need to stop. They need to rest. And yeah, you want it to be safe. You want to be accessible and, and also have enough room, right? It's it's great if it's a new facility, but if it only has 10 spots and 10 people are there, you're kind of, you're out of luck. So I know from the Ontario side, You know, they're doing a lot to change the inspection stations and upgrade those and provide more parking and give it, you know, a a bit better infrastructure, but it'll take some time. But that's mainly along the 401 corridor. Like you said, you go north, and I've seen it for years going up north to see family is, you know, you could stop in the little towns along the way, you know, to get a coffee, wash and break, you know, motels are all up. But now that, you know, they've bypassed all the little towns. I get it from, from a you know economic point of view to keep the stuff moving. But because of that, you don't have these little rest stops on the way that you could pull yeah. off. There's nowhere to stop, you know, oh. uh, unless pulling right off the highway and going into a town, which probably isn't truck friendly, you know, as far as logistically getting through. So, yeah. you know, it's great they, they you know, twin that highway, but they kind of forgot about, you know, why you did it, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of for some aspects. So... Yeah, there's, there's some oversight needs to be done and, and, you know, provide these guys with proper safe places to stop that have facilities that they can use and access, especially, you know, technology-wise, everything that needs to kind of, you know, be updated as we go yeah. forward.
1: Well, and when you get up into the, you know, into, into the north, you also have a stretch between Long Lake and, and Nipigon, where it's over 100 kilometers between two towns. Yeah. Right? And there's nothing in between those two towns. Yeah. Right. So we... You know, although they complain about a parking shortage as well, and by they I mean the U.S. If you if you go into the U.S. and look at the way their interstate system is set up, in almost every state you go into, there's a publicly funded rest area about every thirty miles.
0: Yeah, easily. Yeah, and I just came back from Ohio. I did that drive, and yeah, there was something. There's a rest area. There's a text area. There's a truck shop, but there's something that you can pull off safely off the side of the road. It'll have some sort of facilities available for you to tap into, yeah. and it's it's frequent enough, right? That yeah. you know, okay, if that one's full, I can get to the
1: next one. Right? right, yep. kind of
0: thing, and yeah, that's that's kind of what we lack from the infrastructure from that point of view, for sure. For
1: sure. Um, you know, and I guess the good news would be on this, so that the task force was put together, they issued their final report, um, and then the government has also put together a standing committee on transport infrastructure and communities, which is looking into labor shortages in our supply chain, um, and the PMTC was invited to speak to that on uh, October 17th, mm-hmm. uh, along with other a bunch of other stakeholders, so You know, basically you had this report that was commissioned and then a standing committee that was put together. So hopefully we have some movement going because, you know, what we need to see, and it was brought up in the standing committee by several people that were questioning us, the report's great, and the government putting these task force together is great. But what's really going to make a difference on this is whether we actually start to implement this stuff and it has to happen quickly. If we just have another report that sits (laughs) up on a shelf with all the other reports that have been done, it doesn't do us any good. So it's good that we've got here, but the key point in making sure these things are a success is now implementing and starting to implement it in short periods of time, not three, four or five years down the road. Right.
0: And that'll be the key. And like I said, there's quite a few on here that, you know, don't require a lot of, say, heavy infrastructure. Obviously, 20 of highways and that, you know, those get approved. That that's a huge, you know, task. But obviously, you can talk about the immigration part. You know, there, there's already pieces in play there. You can you can work off of. So, you know, it shouldn't be monumental to get a lot of these going. But they got to do it, right? Otherwise, like you said, it's it's great. I'm glad we did it. A lot of good ideas adopted, but without implementation it was just a nice idea
1: yeah for sure <laughs> but that's always the key point is acting on your recommendations exactly
0: well we'll we'll stay in close contact as as you know the new year rolls through and we'll, we'll see what comes out and maybe we'll, we'll reconnect again on kind of you know what what happened versus what was suggested and you know who knows, maybe there's another task force or what happens. But well, we'll stay in close contact with you as, as far as this rolls out. But um, I do want to thank you for, for coming on and, and sharing us, kind of give us the highlights of what was involved, the PMTC's involvement with it, and hopefully what we will see coming for the industry in the near future. Thanks for the invitation. Enjoyed it. Well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank Mike from the PMTC for joining us. And to catch up on past episodes, check out transportationexchangepodcast.ca. And until next time, thanks for listening.